Block, No Rock, Season 2, Episode 26, coming at you live from the Nebraska Brewing Company Tap Room in La Vista, Nebraska. I'm looking around at our table here. We've got four full cups of something. Mike? Yeah. Kyle? Connor? It's certainly something. And it's not Taco Vesa. No, it's not Taco Taco Vesa. We have a beer that we are all drinking that will be announced later this week. If you guys follow us on social media or if you don't already, please go follow us. Go follow Nebraska Brewing Company on social media. They are dropping a new beer that uh, we will be announcing later this week. Please go follow that, guys. You're going to see some great content it's, in the uh, next couple of days. Very exciting. And it's really Woo! good beer. So I, I don't want to spill the beans, but the beer takes, tastes excellent, just like all their other beers. But this one tastes a little better for me. Just a little better, yeah. Just, just a little better. A little sweeter on the tongue for us. We got... A pretty cool interview coming up for you guys. Like I said to him in the interview, probably the most versatile athlete that Nebraska has seen in a good while. And a guy who has a pretty famous uh, cousin that played for Nebraska. So he's a little overlooked. I mean, I would most definitely call him a Husker legacy. He has quite the family lineage that has played for the University of Nebraska and took a lot of pride wearing the scarlet and cream. So it's an amazing interview, and I say we just get right to it. Let's get right to it. Welcome to NBNR, the authority on unfiltered opinions and authentic player insight for Nebraska athletics. Connect with us on Twitter, Instagram, and at nbnrpodcast.com. We have a saying, no block, no rock. You know, we just really love Otter. He's a junkyard dog. Hey, Kenny Bell ran up to me. He's like, you know what you just, what you just did? <laughs> you get mad. Would you go get in the portal and go to another podcast? You know, usually dumbbells are in pairs. They had five dumbbells. Hang on it, Muhammad. G-B-R. We have with us today um, one of the most versatile Nebraska Cornhusker players, I would say. Um, former defensive back, um, even running back and uh, kick returner. Uh, we want to welcome Tier Green to the No Block No Rock podcast. Thank you so much for coming on tonight. Well, you guys, again, thank you for having me. Um, it's a pleasure. I love talking ball. I love talking Nebraska football, of course. It's very close and dear to my heart, as you guys know. And that started from a very young age for me, even before I was really aware of, like, the history it had in my own family. So, uh, you know, it goes all the way back to about 93 for me personally. Um, obviously, I've had other family members that played there well before then and extended friends and family from my hometown. So, I'm all about Nebraska football, and I'm definitely rooting for them to make some noise this upcoming year. Okay, so before we get into uh, actual football, I just want to ask you, Tier, how did it feel when Gene Brown (laughs) called you a lady? On the Husker Max Facebook, that's how that's how we got in touch with you. Is that's how this all started? Yes. Now, who is Gene Brown? Who is this guy? You know, I don't know, man. It's I try not to be too harsh on people because, you know, they they've seen a, a million names over the years. So them not remembering who I am is not it doesn't it's not anything that irks me or it's not something I take personal. But I mean, if you're in a Nebraska group, all it takes is like five seconds to Google somebody. <laughs> find Seriously? out if they're yeah, at all associated with the program. Yeah. <laughs> and it's well, pretty unique too. So <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. and the, the backstory behind that, for those of you listening and not really aware of what's going on, <laughs> we were like there was a, a big post or whatever we posted about Jamal Lord, the episode that we did with him. And uh and this guy commented and was like, Oh, Jamal Lord, nobody liked him in Cancer. the locker room and all this other stuff. And Tierra was like where do you get this information? Like, that's not true at all. And the guy responds to Tierra and goes, listen, lady, I don't know how you get your info, but uh, I have sources. And Tierra's like, just, okay. Do whatever. you know who I am? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I totally didn't mean that in, in an arrogant way at all. It's just like, I played there. Not only did I play there, I was there when Jamal Lord was there. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you mean, were the locker room. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and again, again, Jamal, like I said on the post, Jamal is a stand up guy. I mean, he's very much someone who is all about team first. Um, he as, as much as this guy was trying to claim he was all about being a prima donna, wanting people to call him Lord Jamal. And yeah, I, I don't know where he got that. I mean, like I said, if there was any time that we did that, it was in jest. 
It was never seen as something like a requirement. I was a true freshman who ended up registering that year. Um, I actually stayed with Jamal the summer going into my freshman year. I mean, the dude really took care of me, took me under his wing, him as well as Jarrell Pippins. Um, and the guys just really welcomed me. They And I was a two-star, relatively unknown nationally. Um, so it wasn't like I was some highly touted recruit that they really needed to you know, make sure I got acclimated and comfortable. So I was, you know, happy with being there. I was a home homegrown kid and they took care of me. I mean, he had no reason to go out of his way other than to be a good leader. And everybody should be a part of the team. Everybody's here for a reason. And, you know, no matter how you got there, or how highly touted you are, uh, everybody has an opportunity to contribute. And like I was telling you before, Jamal stood up for people. He he did what was best. I mean, I know we've seen all the history of his career because he was well under the microscope um, and things that happened bad and things that happened good. But never, never in my mind or in anything that I've seen anybody say or heard anybody say in the locker room or outside the locker room was ever at all that Jamal was the problem. Sure, yeah. I mean, he wasn't. He was just someone who was using his skill set the best he could being as good a leader as anybody could expect. Uh, I mean, we're Nebraska football. We're under one of the most scrutinized microscopes out there when it comes to college football. Yep. Um, and it, a lot of times it comes from our own fans, like in that situation. So yep. I don't know where to do got his information, but I, I don't buy it. And I no. certainly don't remember anything of that nature. Well, our experience with Jamal was like one of the dude is just super genuine. He's a good man. And so we were, yeah, we were very impressed after we got done talking with him. So, yeah. And just kind of listening to what you're saying about him, you know, one of the questions that we asked him was, you know, you played after a Heisman trophy winner, like of course all that pressure. And like you said, the microscope and he said, I mean, his answer really resonated with me. You know, he just simply said, look, I had the dudes in the locker room. I had their respect. You know, they were supporting me, and that's all that really mattered. And just right. hearing what you have to say, he's, you're just echoing what he's kind of saying. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and I think if you talk to anybody who's objective, anybody that didn't have any kind of I, – I can't imagine anybody was jealous of him um, or anything of that nature. But, you know, unless they were coming from that kind of an angle, I don't see anybody really saying anything bad about Jamal. Maybe they question some of the decision-making he made on the field or, you know, his skill set as a quarterback, which, I, you know, he, he broke some records, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So, <laughs> he did some things right. Um, so I, I think that when it's all said and done, I mean, he, he's a major contributor to – a team that went 10 and three. Yep. He was probably the best player on our offense that year. Yeah. Um, and the previous year for that matter. Um, so I, I just don't see how people come up with this stuff. Sometimes people get to talking. Maybe somebody was drunk and, and started <laughs> speaking from their heart. <laughs> something <laughs> that they've never said before. I, I don't know, man. Yeah. But, um, you know, I have all the respect in the world for Jamal. And I think uh, most of the players who were there, if not all of them, have the same respect. Sure. Absolutely. Well, Jamal is probably, in our opinion, one of the most underrated quarterbacks at Nebraska. But let's shift to your career, Tier. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. I mean, you are an Omaha guy through and through. It, it's great to have you here. And when you came to Nebraska, you played running back. And, um, and then they moved you to uh, defensive back. Can you talk about what position you like better and maybe a little bit of the differences and how you went from the backfield to the defensive backfield? Sure, sure. So I'm going to give you all a little little bit of some backstory, um, and this will give you some hints into how, I guess, disjointed and fractured the whole administration was there. Um, I heard that I was switching positions not from anybody in the program first, but from my mom first. Whoa. The crazy thing is my mom, Please explain. not because she was, you know, had this wildlife prophecy that this was going to happen or anything like that, but she just got wind of it because some people who were connected with some boosters um, 
heard some things and then it got back to them. Then it got to my mom and she started asking questions. And then also my high school coach started asking questions. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, right now they're talking about me switching to uh, maybe doing some receiver work just because I was like the undersized back, um, someone who uh, kind of a poor man's Reggie Bush type of deal going on. <laughs> yeah. Although I think, it, I think under the, uh, time to develop, I probably would have shown myself to be a little bit better than that, but um, I, they were going to move me over to some receiver work as well. So that was the only talk I had heard up until I got called into the office, into Bill Callahan's office, and he presented this idea to me. And then I think it was Elmo came in after that or some, something to that effect. I don't remember exactly, but we talked about it. And to be honest, I was very much taken back, but I was savvy enough to understand that I shouldn't show my cards right then, that I was very disappointed in that decision. Um, still to this day, I kind of look back on it and feel like my career could have been uh, somewhat different if I had stayed. Um, but I didn't give them, a, I'm going to be honest with you guys, I didn't give them um, a whole lot of, reason to keep me at running back other than what I did on the field. Um, I had a lot of things going on personally. So I, I think they were trying to figure out the best way to get me to work. Um, and also at the same time, fill some holes because we, we lost some guys that year. Um, I think this is between the 2004 season and the 2005 season. So I think we lost Fabian Washington. Uh, we also lost uh, Lornell McPherson was a senior. Um, I think maybe Pat Ricketts was also a senior. Um, there was a couple guys in the secondary we had lost. And then ultimately, I think Donald DeFran, who was kind of supposed to be the heir apparent to Fabian's position, ended up getting injured in camp. So that made it even uh, more of a desperate situation. They needed me over at DB. They really did. Um, they had some guys coming in, but, you know, I think Brian Wilson was still getting things together before he could come over from his JUCO. Uh, I think Zach was coming in, but of course, you know, you got fresh faces, even though they play well where they are, you know, they still got to see what's going to pan out and what's going to work. But as far as the question itself, I know I kind of went off on a tangent. You're I love playing good. running back. I think it was more my natural position. I was kind of a, a, a lengthy guy with, a little bit stiff hips. So although I played it in high school, playing DB was not really my natural fit. I, I was a runner, uh, kind of a downhill guy. I had a little shift to myself, but uh, I definitely felt more natural at running back. Um, and then DB is just, I'm, I was an athlete. I was recruited as an athlete. Uh, that's why they thought about throwing me in that receiver. That's why I was able to make the switch. So I mean, I, my whole thing, my biggest thing was I just wanted to play. I mean, my whole life, I had, since I was eight years old, my whole desire was to play for the University of Nebraska. And if I could get on the field in some way, um, I was going to do that however I needed to. So, Did you find that transition from running back to DB uh, exceptionally difficult? Or like you said, you were recruited as an athlete. Did you find that your, your natural athletic ability was able to help you kind of get there uh, relatively fast? Yeah, I think it – so here's the funny part, man. And all respect to Coach Elmo, um, Elmation, I, I honestly felt like I made the transition really fast and then I regressed because of some of the methods to coaching by Coach Elmation. Um, I felt like me um, just using my natural ability – and kind of just gradually understanding the position more was more the route, but I got forced into like this certain way of doing things that wasn't great for someone who was new, wasn't really great at backpedaling, um, was still kind of getting used to playing press technique, some of the different aspects of how to play press bail and, you know, judging the ball. And it was a whole heap of things that, you know, was thrown at me, uh, of course, learning a new position and then at the same time trying to figure out, you know, how do I just straight up play football? It's one thing to know how to play the position, know your techniques and all that and execute that, but then taking all that stuff and just putting it into muscle memory and then going out and just playing. 
And that was very difficult for somebody who's coming into something new and then thrust right into a primary role like I was. I mean, it was a lot of thinking going on during that time. So it made it difficult for me to make the kind of plays I would have wanted to make and stuff like that. So physically, it was probably easier. Uh, mentally, it was a lot just because it's to something totally different. You're responding to other people do stuff rather than, you know, you just making reads off of blocks and, you know, picking up blockers or catching passes, whatever. So. Yeah. Well, Marquise Buford kind of bring it to present day was just talking in front of the media today about his role as a safety and how he's kind of learning the game, which is exactly what you're talking about is understanding like what everybody on defense is doing for run fit for, for pass defense, for like just understanding everybody's role. So I can only imagine just hearing him talk about it and then being a running back. I mean, he was always naturally on defense. So being a running mm -hmm. back and then changing to that. Yeah. You can, you can only imagine how difficult that is. Yeah. Well, and, and here's the other thing. There's, there's some advantages to coming from offense to defense. And I saw this with some of the guys who, you know, were playing receiver and then moved over there's things that you're going to recognize just because you had been doing that for however long. And then now you're on the other side of the ball, you recognize what the offensive player is likely going to do. So there's some advantages to it. And a lot of guys come out of high school like that, where they play a position primarily and they're able to make the switch. I think Iowa State recruited me to play DB. Um, I think San Jose State recruited me to play both sides of the ball. Um, New Mexico State wanted me to play uh, DB as well. I mean, it was a it was a lot of uh, places where I was getting recruited primarily as a DB. Matter of fact, uh, Coach Polini offered me he wanted me to play cornerback initially when I got there, uh, but I Coach Solis gave me the choice. Um, I had mad respect for him. Uh, congratulations to him on his retirement. I know it's you know mostly for health reasons, but. Uh, big up to Coach Solich, stand-up guy. I know there's controversy around his name sometimes, but I have nothing but respect for him um, and what he did and him bringing me in as a, a relative unknown, man. I mean, I have super-duper respect for him, man. Uh, he's a great guy. So. so you brought up a name, and this was one of my questions a little bit later, but perfect time to ask it. So you were with the program during the, the firing of Coach Solich, um, and the transition to Bill Callahan. Can you talk about the firing and the transition and kind of what that was like as a player? And I know that you mentioned a little bit earlier too about like the, the leadership at Nebraska too. Like you found out you were changing positions from your mom, not from, you know, from the actual coaching staff. So can you talk about the transition from Solage to, to Callahan and Maybe what that leadership was like under, gosh, Steve Peterson. I can't even say his name. So uh, <laughs> talk a little bit about that. Yeah, uh, you know, and I don't want to I don't want to cast aspersions on too many people. But, you know, Steve Peterson is not somebody I, I'm very fond of because of how he handled things more than anything. I understand that you have to do what you feel like is best when you're in a position like that. Um, and I know it didn't come strictly from him, although. Um, I think they hired him for the purpose of getting rid of Coach Solich. And that's my theory. I don't have a whole lot of concrete ev evidence, but I, I believe that that was a part of why they hired Steve Peterson. Um, I'm pretty sure the last AD before him was not willing to let Coach Solich go. So that was that was a big deal, bringing Steve Peterson in. Uh, Harvey Perlman, I believe, had a, a major hand in that as well. This is all theoreticals. Like I said, I've, I've heard hearsay, but I don't have any concrete evidence. But this is how I feel as the person who was there. And what I mean by disjointed and kind of fractured, we were told, like, first of all, when they fired Coach Holich, it was a shock to us because we just went nine and three. I mean, we were really a legit one game out of going to the Big 12 championship that year. I, I redshirted that year. However, you know, we were all in the know as far as everything that was going on. They allowed him to make all those coaching changes um, the year prior, which really sucked for those guys. I thought, you know, my position coach, Tim Alvin, was an amazing coach. I thought I learned a ton from him. Uh, as a matter of fact, it was a lot of people that felt like I was uh, going to be a legit, you know, player playing running back after spending that time that year under him. And also on scout team. I mean, it was a lot of guys who were impressed by me. Um, Phil Bland, uh, I remember him coming back and finding out that I had switched positions. He was like, what? <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, 
<laughs> you know, it was, it was just kind of odd. But um, when they fired Coach Solich, you know, we went through the period and we had the time where we had discussed potentially boycotting the bowl game, the Alamo Bowl versus Michigan State. And then, you know, ultimately we didn't have 100 uh, percent commitment from the entire team. I'm not going to name any names, but it was like two people that did not want to um, did not want to boycott. Um, and also Coach Polini came in and he made a, a very poignant statement to us like, hey, you know, I, I am going to support you, whatever you guys choose to do. But just keep in mind, um, the, the way it's going to look is if you guys come together under me, we'll have a better chance of like if you guys want me to be the head coach of me getting hired because it shows leadership. It shows that the team is committed to his leadership. And ultimately, I think it was a good thing. But again, we ended up with the same result regardless, um, mm -hmm. where he did not get hired. Most of us wanted him to to be the next head coach. But, you know, uh, Steve Peterson had different plans. I don't know that Bill Callahan was, the, was his first choice. I heard something about Houston that at the time came into a team meeting and said, look, guys, you will be the first one to know that who the head coach is going to be. You know, that turned out to be a complete lie. You know, not only did I hear about Coach Holmes getting fired on the news, when they hired Bill Callahan, which to me was very odd because, you know, he's coming off a 4-12 and 12 year, had a lot of issues with players in the locker room. It's like, yeah, he was supposed to be a brilliant mind um, and all that offensively, and I think they really wanted to improve the offense, which was a big, in their minds, a big struggle we had. So when they hired him, it was just like, all right, this dude has instantly lost credibility with me. Uh, you already <laughs> fired our coach Sol uh, Solich, and we saw it on the news. Get called, have to come back, go to the team meeting. He talks, tells us how he's going to make sure we know first what happens. Of course, that eventually doesn't happen. So it's like, man, this dude, he's full of, uh, he's full of crap. I don't know. You can say it. You can cuss on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, you can cuss on the podcast. It's cool. If it's in your heart, say it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, he was full of crap. And so uh, I just lost a lot of respect for him. And I, I tried to get past that. But as a young kid, I mean, I was basically 18 at the time. And Cole Solich had done nothing but good for me. I mean, because I wasn't highly recruited. And here I'm at a blue blood program that I always wanted to play. And he really was invested in me when Callahan got there. I mean, granted, I had my chances. He wasn't necessarily vested in any of us, to be honest. I mean, I think you could ask guys who were his recruits themselves. I mean, that would say that he wasn't necessarily vested in our well-being, us becoming you know, the very best that we can be. I think he was mostly concerned with what his legacy was going to mean, and which is why they went about changing so many things, basically trying to wipe out the old legacy and start this new chapter that really wasn't necessary. We just continue on the great tradition. But man, it, it was it was hard to stomach. Um, it was a lot of people um, after I played running back that were talking to me like, yo, you should consider leaving. But um, that just was never in my heart, man. I love Nebraska football, always will. So, okay. And like you're you're naming all these names, like you know Peterson and Perlman, and the administration at the University of Nebraska has just been so inconsistent. And just like hearing that story about your mom finding out, it's like, is she on the forums? Like the the guy who <laughs> who called you a lady, like. She, how, how the heck did she find out? I mean, that is just so maddening and so telling. And it's like, sometimes you just, you got to keep trying to find someone until it works. And a right. lot of people kind of argue that, you know, you shouldn't be changing coaches and all that. And I'm not, I'm not of that mindset. I'm, I'm the kind of guy where you, you give someone a fair shot. And if they don't show you, you just got to keep on moving on. And you see guys like Peterson and Perlman. It's time to move on, man. Like, you've had your chance. This is what you've done with it. Let's just move on, right? So, yeah. and just hearing that is just—it's so maddening to me. 
Yeah. Like, especially Gosh. Steve Peterson. Gosh, that, that <laughs> name just, it, it probably irks everybody who's listening right now too. But, but a name, but a, a name that I do want to go back to and you clarified, and I'm glad you did because you said coach Elmo Elmation. And we had a uh, Zach Bowman on a few weeks ago and he was pretty much calling coach Elmation a cockroach. He just, <laughs> he, he, does, he doesn't, no, no, in a good way. He doesn't die. Like he just shows up. He's always there. He's yeah. always there. And so do you have, any, love, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, to be honest, I, I love coach Elmo. I mean, I think he means well, it's just that, you know, there's a certain style of coaching that works for people and there's other ones that it doesn't work for them. Um, and, you know, he would tell us stories about, um, I forget the guy at Wisconsin that he coached that was pretty much an All-American, ended up going to the NFL and everything. Um, but, you know, you have guys who, you know, they have it. And you really have, you really don't have to do much. And you can say a bunch of stuff to them, but, you know, honestly, they already know what to do. And as long as you're giving them good information, they're going to do what's needed to do with it. Uh, and then there's guys like myself who really need like, you know, you got to take me, you can, you drill me the right way, put it in my body. I'll get it. You, uh, you know, if you explain things in a certain way, I'll get it. Um, yelling and screaming in my face is more of a distraction. And he did a lot of that. Um, again, I, I've grown up in that era where that was still like, pretty heavy practice for coaching screaming and players smacking them on the head was not a common i mean i don't know how much it goes on now but it it wasn't a big deal back then so right. you know right. that was just his style and he would be in your face he was a highly intelligent man let me tell you something um a lot of what we did well he was a part of that for sure i mean our red zone defense i think that was one of the things we did a lot better than we probably get credit for because of the results that we always ended up with. Um, but our red zone defense was pretty damn good. Um, you know, I remember, I'll give you another example. It, I think it was 05. Yeah. Cause I was playing corner that game and I, I, I want, it's two plays. I won't forget. I knew exactly what was coming. They threw a hitch pass. I forget the receiver's name, but he was, he was pretty damn good from Texas tech. Um, and they threw a little hitch pass, and I knew it was coming. It was quick game, and I was probably like a half step too slow to get to him, and I, I would have ended the game on that play. But he, they got it. It was like fourth and seven, I think. They got a first down, um, and then the infamous fumble with Lakeven Smith, which, you know. Just go down. Yeah, just go down, but, you know. The lineman never carried a ball. He's not thinking about that. But in the red zone, when they got the ball back, like I knew exactly where they were going with the ball in that last play when they scored. Like I, I literally told, told Blake Tiki, and he may not remember this, so, you know, it's not trying to call him out like it's his fault we lost the game or anything. But I, I was like, hey, he's coming your way. Be ready. He's coming on a drag right at you. And they, sure enough, I mean, they held the ball. He got scrambled around long enough to to where he was able to get free from from Tiki, and they tossed a little pass right there, and it was you know touchdown on that play. So we we knew what was going on. I think that was the shining point as far as our defense goes in the red zone. That cover eight is what we called it. It was a great coverage, man. I would probably still play that now if I was anybody because you you could cover pretty much everything. It was all, you know, kind of a zone man principle where, you know, you're kind of passing guys off depending on where they go. Um, there were some weaknesses, but, you know, it was very difficult to find. And if you played it right, most of the time you could, you know, you keep them out of the zone. Um, but Elmo, man, I mean, Elmo's a highly intelligent dude. He's very um, he's a great coach in a lot of ways, but I think he just working off the old school, <laughs> you know, a little bit too much. Probably needs to do more teaching than screaming. <laughs> well, yeah, and he, he's the guy when you look at his his uh, the amount of places that he's been, it's just it's endless. And it's like, well, I mean, if you were like a really, really good coach, like wouldn't you just kind of find one place and kind of stay there? But you know, if you keep getting hired, you must be doing something right. Right. But you just look at that list and it's like all over the country, 
for like two right. years. He's staying at each place. And it's like, why can't he just stay in one place? You know, what's going on there? It makes you think. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, the, the landscape in college, any football coach, you know, is going to have a tough go of it. I mean, because as soon as your head coach gets fired or a D coordinator gets fired, there's a good chance you, you're not going to stick around. So if, if your guys are not there, the guys who brought you in are not there, there's a good chance you're not going to be there. Um, unless you're a coordinator and you are able to sustain a quality defense. But even sometimes in that case, I mean, look at Bo Pelini. They had, what, the top 10 defense in the country. And, you know, I don't know how much of a conversation him and Bill Callahan had about keeping him on staff. Uh, but, you know, if I was somebody, I would have been trying to keep him. Of course, my thought, and I know this to be true because I, I spoke to some people who would have, who would know, was that they didn't want a power struggle um, between the old folks and the new folks. So For sure. um, they moved some guys out, and that, that was from the top to the bottom, from coaching down even the strength coaches. So, yeah, it's tough, man. Coach Elmo, I just think he's, you know, everybody has some bad luck. Um, I remember, um, I don't know if you remember Kelly Cook, but he was kind of a player coach um, at the end of his career because of injuries and stuff. He became a GA and was a GA for a couple teams. And uh, the team just kept, the coach kept getting fired. So it was like, man, I can't do this. I think he's a real estate agent out in Arizona, I think now. Um, but he was like, man, I can't do this because every time a coach gets fired, I lose my job. So yep, right. <laughs> it kind of comes with the territory. It's so volatile. Yeah, you're right. I did kind of want to point out a, a beloved Husker that kind of – we always talk about Huskers that fly under the radar recently. I mean, Jamal Lord last mm-hmm. week. But um, Corey Ross, you know, you split time with Corey Ross in 04. Pork chop. And I just want to shine some light on you. You set the record for the most rushing yards by a Husker in a debut in 30 years at that point when you rushed for 100 and – 14 yards, I think it was 112, I think. Yeah. So, you know, I thought, I think that's just a little, I think that's noteworthy about you, but uh, pork chop, can you, can you give us any, uh, you know, stories behind uh, Corey Ross or like just the kind of dude he was? Well, I'll just tell you right now, man, he's an amazing athlete from, um, from when he was getting recruited, I guess he was, uh, he was kind of an all world cornerback, but then he wanted to play running back. Um, I don't know what the evolution was behind that decision, but, Maybe because he was shorter. <laughs> but Corey, man, I, I watched him when I was uh, coming on recruiting visits. I thought he, I thought it was a business. So um, I always had mad respect for him. And I just thought, you know, they, they got a couple guys. They're trying to figure out who's going to be the man. You know, obviously, Josh Davis was there. Um, David Horn was there for a time. Um, you had Corey. Um, you had a few other guys who were there still. Um so, but when Corey started to kind of take that lead in 04, it wasn't a surprise to me at all. I mean, he was a guy who grasped the playbook the most. I mean, Brandon, Brandon had just came in. He was a true freshman. And, you know, I was a redshirt freshman. So it was, it was already a new playbook, but he had kind of been through things a little bit more. I think it made it easier for him to grasp stuff. A little more mature than us, obviously, being a little older. And, I mean, he always had great feet, uh, great acceleration. I mean, just a very poised individual, and he was tough as nails, man. Um, that 04 season, he kept having to get shots for Turto, and he played on that for like the last Damn. half of the season. It was it was pretty gritty, man. It was a time where I had to like, he was in so much pain, like he couldn't walk, and I had to carry him to the training room, like because he would give him one before the game and one at halftime. Wow. wow. Yeah. Yeah. It was. And, and, you know, most people knew about the injury, but they didn't know how bad it was. Like he played on that thing and still ball, you know, the whole time. So I have mad respect for him. I think they should have. I think Coach Callahan should have showed him a little bit more respect the next year because it would have set him up, set him up a little bit better going into the draft um, his senior year, man. Um, but I have mad respect for him, man. That's a that's a stand up guy a great player. Um, I think he's, a, in my opinion, an all-time great as far as his performance in a single season under those kind of conditions. Right. Um, he was definitely, in my opinion, the best player that year. Um, 
So I big up to to poor chop. You know, C. <laughs> Ross is a monster in my in my book. So you'll you'll have to forgive me. They couldn't find like a lineman to carry him. Like they had a <laughs> Like it's not like you were, you weren't like the biggest dude, and so I'm just picturing Tierra Green carrying Corey Ross, little five foot six guy. Did he just jump on your shoulders or what? (laughs) How did that work? (laughs) No, man. You know, it was just one of the things we we obviously were locker near each other because we're both running backs. So, um, and he was just like. Every, you know, he was struggling. I was helping him get his stuff off, man, because I knew what kind of pain he was in. Obviously, we were in the same, you know, position room. So I was aware of everything that was going on. Um, so, you know, I was just trying to be there for my bro at the time. And he asked me to help him. So yeah. I said, initially, we tried to, like, have him hobble down. But then I was like, man, just jump on my back and I'll carry you down there. I mean, we've been in the training room. I spent that red shirt freshman year. I got, I come up with some weight now. I could push So aside from Ross, uh, obviously we've already got the answer down. Who do you find that in your time at Nebraska, who is one of the toughest guys you played with? And I need a quick story as to why. We had some really, really tough guys, man. Um, I got to go with Daniel Bullock, to be honest, man. Daniel okay, Bullock. Okay. I mean, both of them, Josh and Daniel. Daniel to me was like, always the stronger of the two no disrespect josh big ups to you too man obviously it's all american <laughs> yeah but i mean you want to talk about somebody that's just strong as an ox highly intelligent i think he's coaching right now as a matter yeah, of fact. For the niners yep yeah right 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 um just highly intelligent very responsible a great leader um someone uh with great skills ball skills um just a just a beast out on that field, man. I mean, like somebody, like if I was playing running back, if there was somebody, I wasn't going to pick him to be the person I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go heads up with. Definitely wouldn't. I might go heads up with, with a linebacker before him. Yeah. <laughs> 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 to be honest, I mean, that's real. And, and there's a story. Um, we were doing Oklahoma drill, and him and – who I think it was Mark LaFleur. Mark has some big-ass hands and, like, super long arms, and he got the better of uh, D-Bull one day. He just on his one, and he was, like, he was pissed because they went crazy because there was nobody was expecting it. But Mark had these long arms. It's just weird, man, because he's not super strong. <laughs> I mean, Straight he was always strong. a great athlete but stayed injured. That was his issue. But, I mean, he just had huge hands and, like, long-ass arms. And so he got a better band one day because he got inside his pad. He had good technique on the drill. Man, the next one they went, Mark got the same technique, had better position, almost got his arms extended. But Daniel was so strong, he just like hugged him, bear hugged him to him and almost and like basically almost broke Mark's hand and like (laughs) broke him back just off the sheer will and strength. Because because Mark had beat us several other dudes who were way stronger than him, but he just had good technique and long arms and big hands. So he was good at that drill and he would beat a lot of other people, but not that day. Daniel that was day. like, there's no way. Like he outwilled him straight up on that. And I've seen Mark beat several people in that drill. So I'm sure it's really I mean, quiet after that. Yeah. You brought up as Corey Ross being one of the best running backs in your opinion that played maybe at Nebraska. Now, another running back that you might be familiar with uh, is Amon Green, your cousin. And yeah. we just wanted to know, did you ever feel any extra pressure to live up to to Amon? I mean, obviously being what he was at Nebraska, did, did it give you added pressure? Did it give you added motivation? How, how was it being uh, a legacy and then coming to, to your family's university? Yeah, yeah, man. You know, I don't know if it was necessarily pressure. If it was any pressure, it was just, man, I didn't want to be the odd odd man out because my, you know, my uncle was a captain at Nebraska and played. Obviously, Amon had played. I have some extended, kind of extended family. My little cousin's dad is actually Calvin Jones. Oh, so, <laughs> you know, um, and actually um, Keith Jones and them, they don't know me real well, but um, we actually share some uh, family between us and them. 
So, um, so it's like, it's this weird, like connection for all of us to Nebraska. And then obviously, um, you know, Niles came along, Niles Paul came along as well, uh, senior year. Um, so we're all, it's a tradition, uh, genuinely, uh, a mad love for and respect for the program. Um, and you know, I, it just was no better place for me to be. And I honestly, it wasn't a lot of pressure because there was no, not a lot of expectation necessarily for me as a two star mm, coming okay. out. It's like, I let's see that. what this kid can do. He's, he's related to Amon. Uh, maybe he's got something to him, which I believe you guys would have probably saw a little bit more if I'd have stayed at running back. I, I think mm-hmm. so too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you showed enough in, in just in your debut that, I mean, if, if if you got the reins, it sounds like you could have you could you could have taken care of business. Yeah, you had over I think it was six and a half yards of carry. I know it wasn't like a terrible amount of carries, but I mean, it wasn't small potatoes. I mean, you were you were doing what you had to do. Yeah, yeah, um, and that's that goes into a lot of what I think um, was my opinion about Bill Callahan's biggest issues. Um, he wasn't to me the greatest. Uh, <sighs> He knew talent, but knowing how to use it was one of the biggest struggles he had on a college level. I mean, obviously in the NFL, it's different because guys coming in, they play the position. This is what you're, uh, you know, you're drafting them or signing them for. Um, so there's not a whole lot of kind of leeway on which way you'll go with players that, you know, maybe you'll have a Z receiver that moves to X or slot or something like that, or a guy who played receiver might move to tight end, you know, or left tackle might go to right tackle, you know, stuff like that is, you know, it's generally on the same plane, but going from offense to defense is not something common for the NFL. And even though I'm sure he, he coached in co- college, he was an offensive line coach um, before, but I just felt like he was doing a lot of experimentation and some of it panned out and some of it didn't. For me, it worked because I was an athlete. But I mean, he—I think he switched Leon Jackson's position like three or four times. They he went from offense to defense. Not ideal. No, no, and it it was just like it was like I think he started off at running back, then they went to maybe he went to safety, then they went to receiver, running back, and then back to it was just you know to me uh, it was a waste. He needed to get in one position learn that position, give them a chance to develop. And I, that's part of what they didn't give me an opportunity to develop. Um, and probably the biggest challenge was uh, he was replacing positions. So I understood that. I mean, we lost a lot of people at DB. Um, so he needed to replace, uh, you know, Fabian and Pat and, and Lornell. So that was a big hit. Um, and some of the other guys who were over there, reserve guys. But, I mean, me looking at it, and I guess I'm biased because it's me. <laughs> I felt like I knew myself, and I just needed more time to develop. I mean, another five or ten pounds. I don't even know if I really needed more weight because I was about 200, 205. I mean, that's not far off what a lot of guys are uh, at in college, yeah. per se. I mean, now it's almost like that's pretty common with with this style of offenses that they're running. I mean, shorter guys than it used to be used to be the ideal height was like six foot six, one, and, mm-hmm. you know, about two ten, two fifteen. Now it's like, you know, you can be five, nine, you know, one eighty five, one ninety, and it's all right. Um, well, so look at the pro bowl, uh, all the DBs that were in the pro bowl were all like under six foot or something like that. Yeah. I mean, it, the, the game has changed because of all the passing and you need guys who are, maybe a little bit shorter, but they got the, the vertical and the speed to, to keep up with some of these new athletes. Cause I mean, the speed is just unbelievable. And now mm-hmm. with all this air raid offense. Yeah. Right. Well, Eric Shenander was just asked today in the, the press conferences. He's like, somebody asked him like, is five ten like too small? Like, are you, are you, do you buy into like the, the size factor of your DBs or whatever? And he goes, no, nah, I don't buy into any of that. And he pretty much just kind of left it at that. Yeah. And Courtney Grixby, we had Courtney Grixby on here, and, I mean, he said the same thing. Like, it's all about, like, heart and technique. He was the Corey Ross of defense. Yeah. Hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we usually kind of like to wrap things up with keeping things uh, relevant to the current year. So 2022, 
Nebraska football season. Spring just started. Um, I just want to ask you, Tier, what are your expectations for these 22 Huskers? Is it bowl game like me? Like, what is your ceiling? What is your floor? What are you feeling for this 22 squad? Well, I don't want to give too many predictions because we get into this every year. Um, I had high hopes <laughs> last year. I thought um, we, we might pan out a little bit better if we could get over the hump of some of those games, um, those close games. But that that's another story, man. That can drain you when you have that many close games, especially against top top 15 teams. It can drain you. But I think um, it depends on what's going to happen with, you know, some of these replacements. I mean, Cam Taylor-Britt's gone. JoJo's gone. Um, you know, we got a lot of lot of guys who were anchors on that defense that are no longer there. And so we're going to see who fits into those roles. Um, I know we got some good JUCO transfers, some great, uh, some great signings from the freshman class as well. Um, so I, I'm excited to see that. I'm excited to see that receiver core mm-hmm. and some of these new quarterbacks that have come in, Thompson and uh, – the other guy, I forget his name. Purdy. Purdy. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I'm excited to see what those guys do. Um, obviously, Thompson had some wild success while he was at Texas. So uh, maybe if he can translate that over here. Mad respect to Adrian Martinez. I thought he got a lot of flack that wasn't deserved. Um, I think he he did the absolute best he could. Maybe there were things he could have done better. Maybe his mechanics weren't as good as they could have been. But all of that is, to me, water under the bridge. I mean, he produced a lot of numbers out there. And mm-hmm. under the pressure he was under with, you know, nobody really seeming like they had had their back for a while. I mean, it was a lot of disgusting talk <laughs> um, going on in Husker Nation that I was not pleased with. And I'll just be frank about that. Um, and I've voiced my opinion on several forums about that. I think if we win, you know, I think – our basement really should be 500 right now. Um, but okay. maybe eight, nine wins on a, if everything goes right. Um, yeah. okay. But I, I think we can go get 500 for sure. And I think that's a good step. I think that would be a step that says, okay, we're starting to win some games here. We're, you know, we're no longer where we're, you know, missing – dropping these games that we for certain should win. I mean, that's going to be important to me more than anything. Like the games we should win, we need to win. Yeah. Point blank period. Like, and I don't care how we do it. As long as it's a win, as long as it's a W I, we show that we can compete. Now those positions that we're filling, you know, are these guys going to be better than Adrian Martinez? I, I don't know if people have really considered that they may not be as good as Martinez on this team. Maybe Thompson had a good, you know, year with Texas on that team. Maybe he's not going to be as good, or maybe he is. I'm hoping, yeah, for real. <laughs> I'm hoping that he. I'm hoping that he is better than Adrian. You know, and mad respect to Adrian, but I hope he is better than Adrian. If that be the case, I think we'll win. You know, definitely be in the market for at least you know three, four, five extra wins. I mean, because all of our games are really close, but it's going to come down to those key positions, very important players on defense and on offense that are gone. Yeah. 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 It's going to come down to making the right decision at the most critical time, which is something that kind of plagued us the last couple of years. Uh, Last thing I want to mention, though, uh, I'm I'm really happy that I've been calling for this for like two years. I'm really happy that Coach Frost is going to give over the play calling completely. I'm really happy about that. I, I don't know. This was something that plagued us in, when Coach Callahan was there because he wanted to call the plays from the field. You just can't see everything down there. Calling plays from the field and, and, you know, even though you're getting information from the analysts upstairs and the coordinators upstairs, calling plays from the field is never like seeing it up there and you making a decision because there's yeah. just certain things you're not – you're going to see that's going to get lost in translation when you – one person says it to another. Um, I think that's the best option. Hell, I wouldn't be mad at him if he had an associate head coach manage the game downstairs and him calling the plays from up there. I wouldn't right. be mad at that. I mean, if he can do it, then go for it. But, I, you know, I don't think guys need to get out of that. Coach Solis had an issue with that when he first started. 
you know, he was trying to call plays from the field. It didn't work. That's why he had to switch it up. I, I've never been a fan of coaches trying to call from the field. It doesn't work out most times. Yeah. Does yeah. Nick Saban call plays? Hell no. <laughs> Just saying. Yeah. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Tier, thanks, man, for coming on the No Block and Rock podcast. Do you want to just uh, kind of promote yourself a little bit, tell people where they can find you and all of that? What are you doing nowadays? Yeah, what are you doing nowadays? I don't know. Do I want to say that now that I was talking stuff about people? <laughs> <laughs> get, get all those No, I'm, I'm actually yeah. – I, I, work I work in the IT industry uh, now. I actually um, just finished up a second bachelor's in web development and software development at Bellevue University. So I'm trying to switch gears as far as my role, but I'm in IT. I'm down in Tallahassee, Florida right now. I'll probably be here for the foreseeable future. Unfortunately, one thing about being a Nebraska fan is, you know, the weather that comes with Nebraska. Well, you <laughs> but we got some people down here. Last <laughs> I love night. the weather. Yeah, I get to talk yeah, stuff yeah. to Florida fans, too, about how we kicked their ass in 95. Oh, so. absolutely. Hey, there you go. <laughs> no, um, yeah, but I, I'm down here in Florida. Anytime, guys. Yeah, you come down and visit, man. I'd love to go grab a drink, talk ball. You know, if you guys have a chance to come down, it's beautiful Noted. weather, um, 75 to 80 percent of the time. Uh, Tallahassee's yeah. North Florida, so it gets cold every now and then, but not nowhere near like Nebraska. For Sweet. sure. Awesome. Okay. Well, Tier, uh, thank you so much once again for joining the No Block Rock podcast. Have a good evening, sir. Thank you. And go be red. Thank you, Tier Green, once again, for joining the No Block, No Rock podcast. Our listeners out there, we are on Twitter, on Instagram, both at NBNR Podcast. Please go follow that. We've got more and more content. If you need to look at our past guests, if you want to buy some merch, 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 shirts, tote bags, Kyle, <laughs> tote bags, settle baby. down. Just buy one <laughs> fucking buy tote bag. One. He wants that tote bag sold and he won't buy it himself. So one of you have to, please. It's a pride thing. <laughs> like I said, that is nbnrpodcast.com. Please go there. You can find us on Spotify, oh, yeah. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. We don't even need to say that anymore, we, do we? I mean, honestly, I keep forgetting. Ev- we are everywhere you get your podcasts. So go find us. Give us a follow. Click that download button too. You know, that helps us as well. We have a YouTube channel. We'll be dropping some more of these videos and clips. I mean, yeah, and the other thing too, on Spotify, you can give us a five star review. You could also give us a one star, but please give us a five star review. We need it because the more five star reviews there are, the more general reviews that there are, the more attention that we get. So please do that, guys. Should we sign off? Yeah, let's do it. Let's okay. do it. I'm one of your hosts, Jared Hall, Mike Delaware, Kyle Byers, and Connor Cadillac. And as always, GBR. <laughs>